0: One of the five players in the Hockey Canada sexual assault investigation ordered to turn himself in has done so. We check in with a law professor at the University of Ottawa to find out, is it common to allow people this much time to turn themselves in? The 680 CJOB Health Series continues, and wait for it. Today, we talked about the ethics of eating bugs. It's Monday, which means we had to have our Monday sports chat with Jim Toth winnipeg jets lost their third game in a row and the nfl on sunday what a choke comedian ron james joined us he's coming to winnipeg on february 16th and do you have or have you ever owned anything that you thought might be really valuable because you're not going to believe what a canadian family has discovered in their home i'm brett mcgarry alongside greg mackling we are mackling and mcgarry and this is the monday january 29th podcast for the start It is Mackling and McGarry. In just a moment, we want to expand on how the warm winter weather has been affecting tourism in our community. In our next segment, we're going to tell you about an incredible find that a family has discovered oh my God. in the 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 bowels of their home. I suppose yep. that could be worth millions of dollars. Oh. And then at 7.05, we'll speak to a lawyer in Ottawa, a law professor in Ottawa, about this Hockey Canada investigation. But speaking of hockey, Greg, uh, one week ago, January 23rd, marked the third anniversary of the trade, which saw the Winnipeg Jets send finished goal-scoring sensation Patrick Laine to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Laine scored 110 of his 204 NHL goals with the Jets. Yeah,
1: and there's still many fans who wear their Patrick Laine jerseys too. Jets home games. Perhaps more fans who retired their number 29s will wear them when the Jets return after the all-star and player break. Cam touched on this in his sports, but in case you missed it, yesterday afternoon news broke that the 25-year-old Line A had entered the NHL's player assistance program and would be taking time away from the game for an undefined amount of time. Later in the day, Line A himself released this on social media. I wanted to take a moment to address my need to step away from the game for a while, Line I said in a post on Instagram. After careful consideration and discussion with my support network and the team, I have recognized the importance of prioritizing my mental health and well being. Hockey has been my passion and my life, but I have come to realize that in order to perform at my best, I need to take this time to focus on myself. I'm grateful for the understanding and support of my team, the league, and our fans during this time. I look forward to returning to the ice with a clear mind and renewed energy. Thank you for respecting my privacy during this time and for your continued support. With love, Patty. And uh, Brett Liney has battled multiple injuries in his time with the Blue Jackets in November of 2021, Patrick's father, Hari, passed away at age 54. And, and Line has described his dad as his best friend. That goes back to a post that Line wrote in the Players' Tribune back in 2018. That's, that's when his famous Winnipeg is good quote became a, a t-shirt and a meme. And uh, during his time here in Winnipeg, either his mom, Tuya, or his father, Hari, was always here with him. One or the other. They took turns being with him all the time. So many of us are wishing Patrick the very best and and hopes he receives the support he needs uh, and and gets better and back on the ice or maybe not back on the ice, whatever ultimately is best for him.
0: And we'll have more in the NHL coming up at 7.55 with our Monday Jets report. But right now we want to talk about how this year's warm winter has meant a late start, of course, to the iconic river trail at the Forks, and that may be more common in the years
1: ahead. Mm, Global's Catherine Dornian has more on what the mild season means for tourism in Winnipeg.
2: The Waya River Trail is an iconic Winnipeg attraction, but this year it had its latest opening date ever, January 25th. Larissa Peck from the Forks says the warm weather created poor ice conditions through most of January. We had a cold snap, uh, the river froze, we had an influx of precipitation from the south of us that, was, that really should be snow at this time of year, but it came as rain, which increased the water level across the board. The Forks is one of the city's most popular stops for tourists. Peck says many people go there just to skate on the river. I think people are looking for anything to do uh, at this time of year, and people really do value that wintertime recreation piece. She says businesses in the market are looking forward to an influx of people while the ice conditions last. But with warmer winters becoming the norm, Natalie Thiessen from Economic Development Winnipeg says winter attractions all over the country are having to adapt. It's looking at how to still offer the experience uh, that you're looking for, but while being the reality of the climate. Some are going to be more dependent on, on snow and cold temperatures and They're going to have to develop mitigation plans. Thiessen says demand for winter tourism is still high and people will still head to the Forks whether the river trail is open or not, but offering a wide range of activities will sustain that demand in order to give people a uniquely Winnipeg experience. I think the way that we celebrate uh, winter and go outside, whether it's minus 5 or minus 30, and, and really take in those activities in a really authentic way, And weaving into sort of the arts and culture and architecture and cuisine. The tourists will still come, but they may have to stay on the land trails later into the season than they're used to. Catherine Dornian,
1: Global News. And of course, last year, the Forks and the uh, River Trail had their longest ever season, 72 days. So for this to be happening on uh, consecutive years, Brett, uh, one an unpredictable year, and then in the other, just a record year, it's uh, it's making things less predictable.
0: Yeah, it was back in 2020 when they weren't able to open at all because the river froze at such a high level, and it was just a mess, and then the water ended up lowering, so there was like this bubble uh, between the ice and the water, so it just wasn't safe. And uh, the latest otherwise that it had opened was, what, 2016, I think? Was it, or t- Sounds right. I think it was 2016 since they've been offering it since 1990 uh, prior to this year. So it's great that they got that open at the Forks Port and maybe they'll be able to expand it. Like I said, I've been noticing some additional footprints on the, the Assiniboine River b- beside the Osborne Bridge. And I don't know if that's just people who have decided, you know what, I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for me personally until I get the green light that someone says, this is safe because I don't know these things. Maybe there are people out there who are experts on this stuff and they know these things, but I don't know if it's people serving the landscape or what. But this is great to see that, uh, as you pointed out, Greg, this beautiful picture from Dan Harper that you reposted on your X slash Twitter uh, to see people out there and enjoying it. And with this mild weather, uh, maybe that'll get... Because one of the things that I like, especially at the Forex port, because you'll see a lot of that there, is people who clearly have never being on skates before and getting out there and trying it.
1: I love it too. It's so fantastic. It's the quintessential Canadian experience. And then when you see people clearly of, of different cultures going out and you can, you can tell either they're just really bad skaters and they have never done it before. Mm -hmm. It's like right on. I just want to go over and give them a hug. Like, (laughs) <laughs> Good for you. Like you are you are giving it uh, the old college try and you are uh, y- yeah, you you are becoming a Winnipegger whether you live here or not.
0: You can read more at cjob.com. And again, if you work in the winter tourism industry or know someone who works in the winter tourism industry, feel free to let us know how have things gone for you thus far this season. It is. Mackling and McGarry, we've got a Santa Lucia $25 gift card to give away. A heads up that tomorrow we're going to have a show announcement and tickets to give away for that. Greg, yesterday you spent some time, you've you've spoken often about your totes, your various totes and all the treasures that you've collected over the years, and you went diving through them yesterday. Were you looking, was this inspired by... What this, uh, the family has found OPG style.
1: No, I was I started this a couple of weeks ago because when we take out our Christmas stuff, our storage area is decidedly less cluttered, Mm -hmm. and so I was trying to reorganize some things before the Christmas stuff went back in. I failed. But at least I began the process. But it's it's funny because uh, I came across uh, a couple of different things that I thought might be treasures, and I looked them up on the internet. Uh, I found a 1954 Canadian one dollar bill, and sometimes they're worth a lot of money. There's uh, some devil's face or something in the queen's hair or something. And anyway, my mine's probably worth less than a dollar. Um, <laughs> and then I found a Michael Jordan box bottom. From some upper deck cards. And I thought, oh, box bottoms. Those are sometimes they can be pretty valuable. Nah, 69 bucks maximum if it's in mint condition. So whatever, that's fine. So then I stumbled upon this story as I'm scrolling through social media watching football last night. About a family here in Canada, they're not saying where, that have found an entire case. 16 boxes of 1979-80 OPG Hockey cards. Well, 1979-80, Wayne Gretzky's rookie year. Last year, Wayne Gretzky rookie card in mint condition sold for $3.75 million. So there's a chance the math says they're likely anywhere from 10 to 16 Wayne Gretzky rookie cards in this case. Oh, my gosh. So the like, like it's going to be auctioned off. Most people are estimating that the case will go for a couple million bucks because even if there are, say there's 10 rookie cards in there, the chances of them being mint, even one of them being mint, eh, I guess it's on the cusp. So everybody's predicting that probably this box will, and these, these boxes and these packs will remain unopened. And that's how people, someone will invest in this. And then hold on to it for them to be like perfect. They have to, there's like the borders have to be aligned in a perfect
3: fashion. There can't be any ink stain. Like it's like, they go through these things like an incredible.
1: Yeah. Like the picture has to be completely and perfectly centered. So which means the cut has to be exactly like, there's so many things that go into it Yeah, being absolutely mint. But can you imagine like you stumble upon one card and then you go, Oh, what's in this box? It's an entire case of 1979 OPG. My God. Talk about
0: winning the lottery. Be curious to know how they came upon a case. Like, why do they have 16 boxes?
1: You know, used to sell hockey cards back in the day with my dad, and it was not unusual for people to come in and buy a case because they would want to complete un- multiple sets and that sort of thing.
3: Stow it under the stairs, buy one, play, uh, you know, un- un- you know, un- unpack one, and then put the other one under the stairs. And probably somebody forgot it was there.
0: Fair. Yeah. So at 204-780-6868, if you were to go diving into your totes and junk boxes, is there anything in there that you think could be valuable? Or have you ever owned something you thought might be of value, or maybe was? Conversely, if you can't think of anything, how about if you were to look through your boxes, what's something you know you still have that is of personal value to you? even if just for sentimental reasons, 204-780-6868 for a chance to win that Santa Lucia pizza gift card. We'll pick a winner at nine 15 and let's start with welcoming back. You heard the voice there of Cameron Poitras after two weeks on vacation. Hello, Cam. Yeah,
3: thanks. I uh, was cleaning out uh, my, some uh, a place of my dad's friend. Uh, was moving out and we were cleaning out her place um, and it was this workout device I don't know when it was from the 70s or something like that, but there was Arnold Schwarzenegger on it. This was during his uh, Mr. Olympia uh, when he was winning this was before he was a movie star and stuff like that. So he wasn't even really featured. He was on the box as like sort of like a model, just like sort of moving and grooving, doing this thing. Um, it was like one of those things where you, you kind of stand on it and you shift and, and apparently it does something for your core, but he, it wasn't like featuring like, Oh, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger approved. It was just him as sort of a model on this project. So I grabbed it and I have it in a box somewhere because I think, Oh, maybe it's worth something. I bet it's completely worthless, but I still have it. I, I can't get rid of it because on the off chance it's worth nothing. Imagined value. Yeah. Imagined <laughs> value. Yeah. <laughs> this has to be worthless to somebody. Sarah McCarthy, what about you?
4: I'm going with the latter part of the question, more of the sentimental route. I don't really have too much of, let's say, quote unquote, junk or sentimental junk here. But when I was home... Easy on the junk
1: word there, sister (laughs) sled, cheesy. I called it (laughs) junk.
4: Yeah, yes. Um, But when I was home over the weekend, oh my gosh, this one cupboard I have just full of stuff. If I dared to open that door, the floodgates would open and stuff would pour out for sure. So I know I have my old pet rock in there. That should probably go. That's not too sentimental. But um, my cards from my grandma, who has since passed on, and just having her handwriting still with me, I think that's a treasure to me. So I'm going to hang on to those for sure.
0: There you go. That's great stuff. And Jeff 14 Master Control. <laughs> oh, you make me feel bad because I just uh, cleaned up my storage closet last weekend and I was going through oh. a bunch of cards and
3: yes, I <laughs> I found one for my grandmother who's no longer with me. It was just uh, a Merry Christmas card. Said uh, Merry Christmas, Jeff, love Grandma. But uh, I was like, I, you know, I, I can't keep all these cards, so I <laughs> end up throwing a bunch of them away. So you make me feel keep bad one about or two. that. I'm
5: mm, good. Oh. Okay. <laughs>
3: um, but for me, I think it'd be the coin collection that uh, we have at my parents' place. And I, I honestly, I have no idea if it's worth anything. I know we have one that's from like the Millennium from uh the year 2000, and I know there's older ones in there. I don't know how much coins go for. I don't know if they're worth anything, but uh, those are uh, stored away, and uh, hopefully when I'm older, I can get some cash out of them. (laughs)
0: 204-780-6868. Do you think you might own something valuable? Have you ever found out that you did own something valuable? Or, if you want to go the sentimental route, what is something that you know is tucked away somewhere can't you don't even remember where it is but you know it's there somewhere and eventually one day you're going to find it and it's going to make you smile 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some Santa Lucia pizza a $25 gift card we'll pick a winner at 9:15 <music> Former NHL player Alex Formanton turned himself into police on Sunday in connection with an investigation into an alleged sexual assault by several members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Team. Five players from Canada's 2018 gold medal-winning World Junior Team have been taking a leave of absence over the past week from their current clubs amid a report that five members of that team had been asked to surrender to London police to face sexual assault charges.
1: Daphne Gilbert is a professor in the Faculty of Law at University of Ottawa, Her research and expertise includes sexual violence with a particular emphasis on sexual violence and abuse in all levels of sport in Canada. Professor Gilbert, good morning. Good morning. I just want to start with your title, if I may. This, um, you know, Brett wrote this up this morning and I was looking at it and I'm going, you have a specialty and an emphasis on sexual violence and abuse in all levels of sport in Canada. And it just, it, it kind of shook me to my core to imagine that somebody could or has to focus on this at this, at this time in, in, in our history.
6: Yes, I know. Uh, and we're waiting uh, any day now for uh, an announcement from the minister of sport about a national conversation, a national um, commission on abuse in sports. So it's, it's definitely something that's going to be preoccupying us for the next year or so at least.
0: Now, this process in which these players are being given time to turn themselves in to London police, is this common?
6: It is actually quite common. Uh, often, you know, people who are uh, arrested for crimes are asked to, to turn themselves in. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fairly common thing to happen when you're when you're going to be charged, and especially in a situation like this where none of the the players who we think are involved are actually living in London, Ontario right now, and so they have to be given some time to, to make their arrangements to get there.
1: So help us with the timeline a little bit, if you would, Professor. Uh, London Police originally looked at this years ago. They conducted an investigation, closed the books on said investigation, then there was a civil suit, uh, or a settlement, I suppose, and and now London police have reopened their investigation. Two questions come out of that: is is that settlement in jeopardy in any way, shape, or form, based on the fact that this case is being reopened? And 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 why? And why do you think that this case has been reopened so so many years after London police determined that it was a non-issue?
6: So, the, to your first question, no, I don't think the settlement would be in any jeopardy at all. So, one thing, the settlement was was with Hockey Canada, not with any individual player. So, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't mean that there was an admission of liability from the players themselves. So, that's not going to impact the criminal trial. And in any event, you know, there's always that possibility that a, a complainant, a victim of sexual assault, can go both, you know, through a criminal system and and a civil system. So. I don't think there's any jeopardy for the settlement, and as to why they reopened the investigation, I think in part it was because of the initial investigation from from what I can tell and I, I mean I don't have any insider information. I only know what what you know from the media but but it looks to me like the initial investigation was quite cursory was was not uh, not a very deep investigation, uh, and it could have been that at that time the complainant was struggling with with how involved. She wanted to be, given the the nature of of what happened to her, or what's alleged to have happened to her, and and so you know the, the police seem to have closed that investigation down quite quickly. I think when it became public that there had been a settlement, and then with all of the scandal around Hockey Canada and its secret settlements with complainants across the country, that that perhaps the London police realized that they needed to do a more thorough investigation into what happened.
0: Now, given the, like you say, it's common to allow uh, people time to turn themselves in, but in this particular case, do you get the sense at all that maybe the system is being a little too soft on them?
6: Well, I certainly think that to this point, they've been treated very, very well by the system, you know, white kid gloves. Um, You know, at this point, being asked to turn themselves in, that is a a common thing that can happen but you know it's it's amazing to me that throughout all of this we've protected their identities and and you know really shielded them from from any consequences for for what you know might have happened that night and and so it it is going to be interesting to me going forward if if they're treated just like any other accused would be
1: in Manitoba here of course uh, Sheldon Kennedy who came to prominence uh, for for in my mind uh, the right reasons eventually just for his bravery and his dedication to trying to help individuals youngsters uh, be safe in this world of sport, and it's so hard to say some of these things out loud, Daphne. You know, I played sports my whole life growing up, and to imagine that by the time I became an adult and wanted to get involved in my own kids' sports, I had to take this respect in sport course that was so, you know, detailed in terms of the protocols for if you believe this is going on, you must do that, and and all this from the bravery of Sheldon Kennedy, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, the need for something like that. Just how prevalent do, do we believe that, that, that this abuse is, is taking place uh, within sport at all levels?
6: Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I share your admiration for, for Sheldon. I think the work that he has done in this area is, is just amazing. And, uh, and he's a really special person. Um, We, you know, we know that abuse in sport is a serious problem at all levels of sport uh, and, it, you know, it's both abuse of people participating in sports so that the way that coaches and other players treat treat people within the system, the hazing and the bullying and the abusive practices and the sexual abuse as well. Um, but then there's also, you know, what we're seeing in the allegations here, which is the way that high-level athletes, the entitlement that, that they feel comes with their success especially, you know, in, in commercial ways, right. That, you know, all of these players on this junior team that won the gold medal, were looking at pretty significant professional careers uh, as a result of that success. And, and I think that, you know, the culture that comes with that often contributes to this sense of, you know, entitlement around, around sex, around alcohol, around all, all the trappings that come with that celebrity.
0: Daphne Gilbert is a professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa. We thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. It is Mackling and McGarry, inspired by a Canadian family's discovery that they have in their possession an entire case, 16 boxes of 1979-1980 Opeachy hockey cards, which mathematically... Could potentially contain ten to sixteen Wayne Gretzky rookie cards, and it might get au- the the case might get auctioned off for like two million bucks. We're asking you if you have anything in your possession that could be valuable, or maybe you have owned something that you thought was valuable, or perhaps. You learned it is valuable, or was valuable, 204-780-6868. I see Dan, the Earl of Eli, weighing in on
1: hockey cards. Yeah, I would have loved to be 10 years old back in 1979-80 and have 150 bucks in my pocket to buy a case of OPG. Not only would it be full of Gretzky rookies, but that was the same set that had cards of all the players and teams who merged with the NHL when... WHA folded. I'm a hockey card collector and I have been since I was five or so. I have in the past had several high-end hockey cards, including a few rookie Gretzkys. And once a year, I dig through my collection and make sure I know the value of all my stuff. Occasionally, I find one that I've missed. Maybe not a Gretzky rookie, but every year I find a card in my collection that surprises me. That said, that case of cards has a $900,000 bid on it right now. But the odds of finding a mint Gretzky in all those boxes is very rare. But I would love to open them all. And hell, I might even try the gum, says Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I would shatter your teeth. That gum was rock hard when it was brand new. (laughs) Can you imagine 40 years later?
0: <laughs> or it would just disintegrate. Yeah. yeah. Just like powder. And it was already just yeah,
1: dust. Yeah. It's already powder coated. <laughs> Terrible stuff.
0: Uh, so keep those coming for a chance to win. We've got a San Lucia pizza gift card. We'll pick it a winner at 9.15. Right now, time to continue our two week 680 CJOB health series. And today's is going to be rather interesting. And we should warn you, potentially off putting, but just. Just hear us out. Today, we're talking about bugs, and we have a question for you. Have you ever thought about switching up your protein game? Because bugs might just be the next big thing. CKNW's Leila Hader will explore the ethics of eating insects.
5: Picture this. You're sitting down, waiting for your meal. Your mouth waters... You pick up your knife and fork and get ready to dig into a delicious meal of crickets. <gasps> it is a strange idea, right? But what if I told you it is the future of food? I caught up with Dr. Yasmin Akhtar, Sessional Lecturer at UBC's Faculty of Land and Food Systems, who shared her inspiration behind diving into the world of insect consumption.
7: When I thought about global warming, And when I thought about that in 2050, the world population will be like about 10 billions and people may not have enough food for all. So then I thought about uh, what can be the other meat for the future generation. Then insects came to my mind and then I started looking at the benefits of the insects. So insects contain like um, they're high in proteins. They contain like good minerals uh, such as uh, magnesium manganese iron and uh, and they also contain vitamins such as vitamin b12 vitamin b2 mm-hmm. and uh, vitamin a and uh, they also contain fiber and uh, and i mean uh, I mean, they, they are very high in proteins compared to, uh, compared to some of the conventional meat sources. Especially some of the grasshoppers in Mexico, their, their protein contain, content is much higher than the beef.
5: Environmental sustainability is a significant aspect of promoting insect consumption. So is rearing insects more ethical compared to other farm animals? And what specific measures make insect farming more sustainable? Dr. Akhtar had some compelling insights
7: into how these small creatures could save the whole planet. Insects release less greenhouse gases, right? And insects, they require like very little land for rearing. And uh, in terms of water, insects don't... Don't drink water, you know, the amount of water they get, they can get it from their food, you know. And insects require very little space, but for an animal, you know, you need a lot of space in order to rear an animal. Their reproduction rate is much higher compared to an animal, meat-producing animal. And, um, and their life cycle is also very short. Development cycle is also very, very short, you know.
5: Although insects sound like the ethical choice... It is not all sunshine and rainbows. Insects live in many different environments, including soil and can be infested with bacteria and other viruses. So, of course, there are risks associated with consuming
7: insects. As you know, insects are found everywhere, right? They're found in the soil, they're found on the trees, and uh, they can be exposed to heavy metals that are present in the soil. They can be exposed to insecticides that are used to to kill the pest and they can be contaminated with that they can be exposed to the microorganisms like bacteria fungi and, uh, and viruses but one important thing that people should watch out is that uh, people who are allergic to seafood like shellfish they are also they can also be allergic to the insects
5: Interesting. because
7: <laughs> both of them they share like common allergens protein allergens right we should avoid those insects that contain toxic compounds, like many butterflies and larvae. But one thing we, people should look for is that that those insects that contain toxic compounds, they, they are brightly colored and they have like uh, red and black spots on them, you know. And here's the part you've been waiting
5: for. The taste test. Yes, I tried a barbecued cricket. And let me tell you, it was an experience. <laughs> so, what,
7: what do we have here? Uh, okay. So, we have here crickets, and uh, I have obtained them from Entomo Farms, as you can mm. see here. These are whole crickets, and those are mealworms. mealworms. So, mealworms, you know, so they are like, you can see, uh, they're also, you know, dried mealworms, and uh, you can eat them as a snack, you know. As a snack? So, cool. Yes. <laughs> All right, you can try this. What does it taste like? Uh, well, it has a nutty flavor, flavor uh, like nuts. Nuts.
5: Yes. Okay. Hmm. What does
7: it taste like?
5: It's it's giving me the the texture of chestnuts.
7: Oh yes, you're
5: right. A, a little bit powdery. Yes. Um. Also, it's like crunchy from the outside, powdery from the inside. inside okay, yeah. It does not have a weird taste that yes, I need to be yes, scared yes, of. Yes interesting i did not expect that taste it has a shell though
7: yes it does i can yeah i can feel because the thing is that their exoskeleton their outer covering is made up of chitin and chitin is uh, is a fiber you know so it is like a prebiotic fiber you know
5: if you're new to the idea there are numerous creative ways to sneak bugs into your meals like you can add insect powder or flour into your baking smoothies or drinks would I give it another shot? Hmm. I'm not entirely sold yet. The cricket I sampled was all right taste-wise, but the texture did not quite sit right with me. So, if cows and chickens ever disappeared from the universe, chickpeas would become my go-to for protein instead. For the Health Series, I'm Leila Khadir.
1: What an article... University of Minnesota says 80% of the countries on planet earth consume bugs. 80% of the world's nations. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's funny because Loren, uh, yesterday, Loren McNabb flagged something for us from uh, global's Sean O'Shea. He's a sort of a consumer reporter, but he's a terrific reporter and he was on a rest stop in Cambodia And in one of the pictures, a woman just decided to throw a tarantula on his arm and started crawling around. But he, he, these one posts, lots of protein for sale, tarantula, crickets, water bugs, worms, frogs, snacking opportunities. So I realized that we grew up, we've grown up in a culture where we don't do that, but... Anytime, like on The Amazing Race, Survivor, if they have food challenges, Fear Factor has done it, they often involve bugs because that's, as you pointed, I didn't realize it was that high, but it's a common thing. Even in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, it's all of their delicacies where all these weird things for us that for others are
1: delicious. So it was a Thanksgiving show, the show coming. Was it on Thanksgiving Day, Brett, that you partook the first time in trying some cricket protein? Was it an actual cricket? I'm trying to remember what you did on Oh, was air. that on the air? I think I, I'm almost oh, certain yeah. it was on the air. Was it on Thanksgiving Monday? Oh. <laughs> I
0: don't remember the day, but yeah, I remember that. I do remember going oh, I, to... I know,
1: I know it was on a, on a Thanksgiving because my, uh, my aunt and uncle were in from BC and they wanted to meet you based on the fact that you were crazy enough to try this.
0: Okay. I don't remember that. Uh, but I do remember going to uh, Love Local Manitoba, which is a beer, food, and wine event and Prairie Cricket Farms with whom we're going to speak at 905. They had a booth set up and they had their salt and vinegar roasted crickets up for grabs to try and their smoky barbecue roasted crickets up to try. And I tried them, although I don't remember if they, they I see they also have dill pickle roasted crickets, Greg. Oh, that's perfect for a run. Perfect. <laughs> so I tried them and they were tasty. They were crunchy, but I'm kind of with Layla, the, the texture would require some getting used to. And that's very much a psychological thing as we referenced the cultural difference, but they've also got pro cricket protein powder. Mm-hmm. So if you're somebody who does protein powder, I mean, I, I don't know if there'd be any difference in flavor. I have no clue. I know you've got animal based flour, protein powders, you've got plant based fr- protein powders, and I've tried the animal based before. No clue. What's the difference between that and crickets and, the plant-based ones, but we're going to have them join us at 9.05 to learn a little bit more about a local operation on this. Would you try the the protein powder? See, I'm not
1: big on the protein powders in the first place. Okay. Because they typically, no matter how you blend them, how well, uh, so much of my food is psychological. I I need uh, an entire year worth of sessions with a counselor just to work out my food stuff. Alone, let alone anything else in my life. So, yeah, for me, so much of it is texture. But, you know, Kristen pointing out, gentle reminder, fellas, that bugs, quote unquote, are orthopods, just like shrimp. Shrimp and lobsters are just aquatic bugs. And, well, (laughs) Kristen knows that shrimp and lobster are two of my favorite foods on the planet. So if you had maybe some hot butter on the side... Sign me up for some cricket and some tarantula legs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So we're going to be discussing this throughout the day for the 680 CJOB Health Series, a two-week series, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday last week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week, and once again at 9.05 we'll be joined by Prairie Cricket Farms right here in Manitoba. And our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Would you ever consider eating bugs? Your options are, I have, I'd do it again, I have, not my thing, sure, why not, I can at least try it, or no thanks. Cast your vote at cjob.com. It is Mackling and McGarry. We are going to talk some sports with Jim Toth at 835, but right now we want to talk about how they were supposed to be the answer to the millions of plastic straws which found their way into oceans around the world. Yeah,
1: the plastic straw causes all sorts of grief once we dispose of them. They can't be recycled. They break down into microplastics and become part of the environment, in water particularly, at some of the images of aquatic life which have ingested straws over the years, were a big part of the move in many countries, including Canada, to ban the straws and other single-use plastics altogether, Brett. Now, paper straws and wood-like
0: utensils have become the default now. If you have used them, I have no problem in saying they suck, and no pun intended on the straws, but I hate them and the reusables. But what about reusable straws and cutlery? Back in 2020, we introduced you to our next guest. Their company's product was being included in a Super Bowl swag bag. Nikki Buchanan of I Reuse 2 joins us now. Good morning, Nikki. Hi, how are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks for joining us again. And here we are four Super Bowls later. How are things going in your business?
4: Good. It's still kicking, still going strong.
0: <laughs> and uh, remind us, what is the product you offer?
4: So we are a luxury, eco-sustainable cutlery brand, and it's a travel set, so you can bring it with you wherever you go. That includes vacations or just every day to work or shopping or school.
1: So what made you come up with this idea and, and bring it to market these, you know, several years ago, Nikki?
4: Well, we saw the... The hype behind the straws, and that was great. But then, what happens to all the other plastic utensils that you're throwing away all the time? So, we thought, yep, that's the solution. So, we decided to bring it to the market, and yeah. It's-
1: it's been wonderful. Yeah, sounds like, you know, almost a good prognostication, like future telling here. A report. <laughs> the reason we reached out to you, particularly this past weekend, I think it's the New York Post published a, a report. Uh, that came out last fall so it's circulating on social media right now it's making the rounds again and this report suggests that and asserts very strongly that paper straws and some of the compounds involved in making these straws can be harmful to our health first of all the straws are brutal as brett said and once upon a time i put up my hand i was a proponent for them i i thought you know let's give this a try. Boy, was I wrong. I detest them. Uh, what reasons do people give for making the move to your product? And is it in any way uh, because they are concerned about the materials, which make up the paper straws? Well,
4: 100%. You have the terrible mouthfeel of both paper and the um, the wood products, let's call it. <laughs> and then you also have the bonus for us using our product that you know where your cutlery has been. You don't have to worry about um, what somebody did before you got it. (laughs) So you have control over it and you can bring it wherever you are. Plus it's not going to go bad. It's not going to disintegrate into your mouth, which is really super gross.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, these single use plastics, the ban on single use plastics also means the plastic cutlery we had become accustomed to is no longer widely available. So like has this been a boon to your business?
4: We we've seen an increase when the news came out that they were banning it for sure. Um, but COVID did a number on us, I'll say.
1: <laughs> well, expand on that, Nikki. I, I guess people weren't going out to eat, so Correct. yeah. So that obviously had an impact. You you managed to to stick around through the yeah. pandemic? Are, are, are yeah. you just getting things started again? or yeah,
4: things or- are starting to pick up quite a bit now. Um, we did have a little bit of a lull where stores were closed and restaurants were closed where people couldn't go out and show the beautiful cutlery that we have. We have nine different designer colors, so, I mean, it's very... Uh, attractive when people are using it out in public. So we did have a little bit of a, a lull. So yeah, we're getting back into the swing of things and definitely still here five years later. And I'd like to say that it's amazing how many sets of, of plastic utensils that we've kept out of the landfills. It's just under a hundred million.
0: Oh, wow. That's incredible.
4: Yeah. yeah.
0: Just looking at your, uh, your lineup here, the, uh, the featured collection at I reused to, dot com. That's the number two, by the way. And yeah, you have a variety of colors here: the purple rain, the crisp champagne, the incredible iridescent. I actually have iridescent utensils at home. <laughs> uh, do you have a? Is there like a, a front runner for which one's most popular?
4: Uh, I'd say the iridescent, just because it's so beautiful. Uh, we also have kids sets as well. And because I'm a Winnipegger and everybody likes the deal, we offer four sets. You only pay for three. And we have free shipping across Canada and the States too. So it's it's a pretty good
1: deal. Nikki, we appreciate this. And uh, this is so innovative. We love supporting Winnipeg business. I see your pickup truck out in uh, my (laughs) quarter of the city on a regular basis. So you're uh, never too far away from the front of mind. And uh, so if if, you know, if you start learning some things uh, that you can share with us along the way, we'd love for you to do that as well. Great to connect with you again.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Nikki
0: Buchanan joining us live from iReuse2, and once again, the website iReuse2, so the number two.com if you're interested in this, because yeah, this report uh, that came out last year, I hadn't, we certainly, neither of us had seen this report, I didn't realize that not only are the paper straws just functionally useless but they're potentially not good for you. That's
1: terrific. Uh, one of our listeners sending a picture of what looks like his glove box. Yeah. Absolutely full of plastic straws. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go to the States, I know a lot of Canadians are scooping those up.
0: Well, he was in, this is uh, listener, Johnny. He was in Saskatchewan and at Arby's. Oh. So, so the, A, he bought a whole bunch of Arby's to bring home because you can't get it here. <laughs> And he grabbed a whole bunch of plastic straws from said Arby's,
1: uh, Arby's uh, in Saskatchewan. And you know what else they have in Saskatchewan that we don't have here? I saw on social media they have Fuddruckers in Saskatoon. Ah, lots of people saying, "Bring Fuddruckers back to Winnipeg." <laughs>
0: One week ago, January 23rd, marked the third anniversary of the trade, which saw the Winnipeg Jets send finished goal-scoring sensation Patrick Laine to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Laine scored 110 of his 204 NHL goals with the Jets.
1: And as Cam's been telling you throughout the morning on sports, yesterday afternoon, news broke that the 25-year-old Laine had entered the NHL's player assistance program and would be taking time away from the game for an undefined amount of time. Later in the day, Line himself released this on social media. I wanted to take a moment to address my need to step away from the game for a while. Line said this uh, yesterday in a post on Instagram. After careful consideration and discussions with my support network and the team, I have recognized the importance of prioritizing my mental health and well-being. Hockey has been my passion and my life, but I have come to realize that in order to perform at my best, I need to take this time to focus on myself. I'm grateful for the understanding and support of my team, the league, and our fans during this time. I look forward to returning to the ice with a clear mind and renewed energy. Thank you for respecting my privacy during this time and for your continued support he closes off his message with love. Patty. Uh Laine has battled multiple injuries in his time with the Blue Jackets in November of 2021. Patrick's father, Hari, passed away at age 54. Co-host of Jets at Noon, Jim Toth joins us now. And Jim, this is um this is difficult news, I think, for a lot of hockey fans. Patrick Line fans, who, you know, let's face it, he still has a ton of fans here in Winnipeg. As the trade deadline approaches in the last week, there have been conversations. Just amongst fans, I don't think there's any validity to it and, and certainly not going to happen now. Just the idea, oh, the Jets should try and get Patrick Liney back to, to heal their struggling power play. What did you make of this announcement? And, you know, a lot of time when people hear the, uh, about the players' uh, program, they immediately, the players' assistance program rather, they immediately uh, think that drugs or alcohol or, or similar are involved.
8: Yeah. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah. I, you know, I I'm starting to get to the point where like I, I read these and I, I just feel, you know down for the people and stuff, but I'm I'm starting to get these and and when I saw uh, Patrick Liney's note there, I, I kind of got happy. Like I was like, good for him. Uh, I mean, this is what the program's there for, and, and I don't know what what the issues are, and I don't know if they're multiple, but but you've you've touched on a little bit of it. It, it. It's these guys are in the public eye, but we don't we don't know their private lives, right? So, but you touched on it when his father passed away. I know that they were really really close. Um, To the point where I think his dad lived with him here. Well, I know his dad lived with him here in Winnipeg. His dad was often out at Glendale Golf and Country Club golfing uh while well, he lived here and 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 spent a lot of time in the summer here with Patrick, they were really tight. So, and then the injuries and stuff like when it's not a, a mystery, guys. That you know, in all walks of lives, whether you're a pro athlete or not, you know, when you lose a, a parent and you're struggling at work and you're not performing well, and things add up. So, I just I think it's a great move by him. I I, I think that you know he he hasn't been the player he's been when he left here and was traded. Uh, he's been injured multiple times, as you said, and, and so I just think maybe, you know, I'm, I'm happy that whatever's going on with Patrick, that he's going to get the help they need, and I think it's a great message, and I, I think more athletes need to do that. You know, I'm, I, I'm not referencing Jonathan Huberto in Calgary with any issues that he might be having, but look at the pressure that's on him with the contract, and, and i watched, you know, a lot of Flames games this year and interviews with him, and he's been a healthy scratch, and just to what the pressure and the struggle for him when the entire city's waiting for him to be the player that they wanted him to be. Be, I would think that's playing a little bit into Patrick's journey in Columbus as well. So when I hear this news now, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little, you know, sad for the, for the guys that well, I'm sad for anybody who goes through anything that that needs help. But now I'm getting to the point where reading that note from Patrick yesterday, I thought, you know, it just gave me a, the, the sense that he's, he's not in a horrific place, but he's in a bad enough place he's going to go get help, and I think that's a positive thing.
0: Now, the Jets are into their all-star and player break back on the ice in Pittsburgh on February 6th. Jets lost their third straight on Saturday night, Jim. Is this the beginning of the end, or is it the perfect time for a break?
8: Well, the people who marked the schedule last year when the slide started and and noticed it's around the same time are doing that again. Um, You know, every team that goes into the break on a loss or some losses is going to say this break is needed, mental reset, refresh. I do believe the Jets need this. I think that they played an enormous amount of hockey in a in a short period of time prior to playing not very much hockey over a two week span, and I liked what Adam Lowry said at the end of the game on Saturday. I, I thought that he said that you know it's been about two weeks of hockey that we're not really happy with because it's not uh, at the optimal of our execution and, and time. So. I think what they went through last year was a learning experience this year. I don't think they're going to continue to slide like they have. I think they are going to get healthy. They need Mark Shifley back, but they need to get their game back and their mojo back. And and what's happening in my mind too is, and I want to give Toronto credit on Saturday – Now that they've had the success and and had so many wins and we're at the top of the league, a lot of teams see what they do and and are countering that, right? Like this is the time of the year where everyone tells you hockey gets tougher. And I think that's what's happening for the Jets. So I think it's a great time for them to sort of go into the break, reset themselves, but also get back to and understand what made them successful so far this year and come back refreshed and and get back at it. So I, I do think that the break has come at a good time for them. Um, and, and it's tough to, when you're playing games to get out of a slump, but it, it's kind of easier when you have some time off and come back, rejuvenated, refreshed and get healthy. And I think that this will help them.
1: Yeah, I was concerned a week or so ago. And boy, the goal scoring is just not there. And and certainly that's continued uh, in these uh, last three games here, Jim. So so we'll see. Really only two goals in three games. That late one on Saturday night doesn't count in my mind. Shut out in the middle game in Toronto. One goal. In, anyway, we, we, we can go on. I know you have lots to talk about with Cam upon his return on Jets at Noon today. But we have to talk NFL before we let you run here. Okay, so Confirmed. Patrick Mahomes is good at football. Uh, Casey uh, looking to go back to back. His his performance yesterday. Lamar Jackson, the the you know for a lot of people the presumptive MVP of the National Football League just didn't get the job done, and the and the and the Chiefs took advantage. Travis Kelsey, you know, love him, hate him, or otherwise, was great yesterday. But I want to discuss with you the Lions and this epic collapse of theirs i mean lions long suffering fans i know as a chicago bears fan they're in the division of the bears so you're gonna have to put that aside for me jim up 24 7 at the half they ultimately fall 34 31 i have to ask you what is the ultimate turning point in that game The ball off the face mask that looked like an almost certain interception that turns into two plays later, a touchdown for the 49ers. The fumble just a few plays later, or the two fourth down gambles by coach Dan Campbell, or is it just the fact that they're the Detroit Lions?
8: (laughs) Well, first of all, as a Bears fan, I love this story. Um, Like the Bears are out of it, I don't care. But Detroit hasn't been in the playoffs for so long since 92 and then to go this way I kind of thought you know can they beat the the perennial guys I think they've been in the most conference game San Francisco 49ers so I was on the lion's wagon I think this is a great story whenever a city's gone we're we have a football team that went 29 years without winning it would have been great to see him go and and them go and do this but I think it's the combination you laid out there Macklin but I think it's coaching I mean as great as as their head coach has been this year and and in the three years he's been there and turned this organization around he deserves, deserves a lot of credit He's got to wear this one. He's got to understand, and I think momentum caught up with him, right? And I think we all sit there and we watch games, whether it's hockey or football, and we all think, what's the coach doing? But but I think for the first time, we understand when when, when the bullets are flying, so to speak, and the pressure's on and you're in a game like this, you make decisions in a 30-second in a span. And his going for it as opposed to putting points on the board, especially on the road, really cost this team. And I understand what he was doing, and he said that after. I think he was was second-guessing it after as well. But if he gets those first downs and they get a touchdown, I get what he's doing. He's putting his foot down on the throat of the 49ers and, and guaranteeing this. But what he lost in the momentum of the game and trying to do that with with what he's been successful with is, is the fact that you could have just put points on the board and probably won that game. So I just think he got caught up in it. He's a very emotional guy. We all know that. But he's got to wear this one. And I think the shine on everything he's done is going to come off real quick because he went with some momentum and maybe some some energy he had and was feeling, and it was wrong. He should have put points on the board. I thought that immediately, even if they got the fourth down, and I'll say this, even if they converted one of those fourth downs, I still think it's the bad call. You don't risk what you have outlined. If you're trailing, I can see that. But when you have a lead on the road in a conference championship game, you take the points every single time. And so I think he really cost their team this. And I think he knows that. And he's going to have some long discussions with this. And he even referenced in his post game that like the Bears have draft picks and they're getting better. The Packers looked real good and could have beaten San Francisco this year that he referenced he goes it's going to be twice as hard to get here now because yep. of, of the rest of the division and i think he really lost an opportunity to take the detroit lions to the super bowl now that being said does that erase everything he's done for this organization and the season they've had this year no but it definitely takes the shine off i i sometimes coaches make errors just like players do they try to outcoach makes,
1: themselves yes he made that's errors, and that's what he I, did I've seen it,
8: my favorite idea of, about coaching yourselves, I went to a Vikings game years ago with Favre and Adrian Peterson. They went 87 yards, and, and I think Adrian Peterson ran the ball 78 of those yards, got to the two-yard line and threw three passes and didn't get a touchdown. And I'm just like, what are you all guessing yourself with here? You just ran the ball – for 90% of this drive and then you don't run it when you get into the end zone so uh, I think that's what what their coach did yesterday he he partially cost them the game other execution but I I do lay that at the foot of the coach
0: Jim Toth sports fan, co-host of Jets at Noon alongside Cam Poitras thank you for the time as always Mr. Toth, a pleasure thank you gentlemen, have a great day Right now, we want to tell you that we've got tickets to give away. And wait for your cue to call. We'll do it at the end of the interview. But we do have tickets to see this man perform in Winnipeg next month. The one and only Ron James.
9: Smartphones have become a permanent appendage. Jeez, if there's ever another Pompeii, every calcified corpse they find is going to be in this position. Live. And whatever device you got, it better be the best or you'll be vilified in public. Three gigabytes? What did that set you back? Two beaver pelts and a bag of pemmican?
3: (laughs) February 16th, 2024, at the Club Region Event Center.
9: You know, I asked my mother, who was 82 years old, what the trick to leading a simple life was. And she said, just keep moving, curse when you have to, and never leave the driveway unless you're going to church or the casino.
3: (laughs) Get tickets now at Ticketmaster.ca and CasinosOfWinnipeg.com.
1: The casinos part works out perfectly here. We also have a copy of his book to give away all over the map, rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road. Let's welcome back to 680C, Joe B. Ron James. Ron, good morning, sir. How you doing, boys? We're doing very well. And I got to tell you, I love listening to you tell these stories. And the fact that you still sound like you're a maritimer just makes it that much better.
9: (laughs) 42 years in Toronto. 44, actually. By the way, um, I... uh... I, I, I was laughing at your uh, remembrances there are the stuff that your mom throws away. Yes. So just one day when she decided, okay, that's done with. And the Easy Rider poster with uh, Dennis Hopper flipping the bird is off the wall and it's gone.
1: So you know uh, what we're talking about, right? It's absolutely. like, seriously? Come on, mom. You, you haven't cleaned my room for a month and then you decided today is the day. And then, yeah, you, and then you do that.
9: Can't believe they threw out that sixty-two helmet, though. Holy jumping! That's yeah, big one.
1: yeah, that would but be. But a...
9: the peg was uh, the peg was very formative in my stand-up career. I used to play rumors all the time. You know, you'd come out and you'd be paid in a uh, you know a cab fare and a hamburger and be grateful for it. Uh, but uh, it was uh, it, it was a great club to play for. Uh, you know, you would do two weeks there, and I learned a lot about the peg, and I put a lot about the peg in the book
1: too. Well, that's good to hear. So, how do you how do you summarize? How do you decide? Which stories I mean 40 years out on the road meeting Canadians because I'm guessing that's a big part of this I mean your show is you know an hour set and so I you know if oh, you're no, he- I do anywhere from a uh, hundred minutes to two hours yo jeez okay so there you go yeah. you're already yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a pioneer that way okay so you come here you're on stage for maybe 10 hours in a week. <laughs> you got to be out and about meeting people all the time. What's it like getting out and, and meeting Canadians and just how different we are and how do you boil that down, 40 years of that, into a book?
9: Well, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to boil it down into a sound bite, But I will say that um, that's what I call the soul note. The soul note that you hear singing in the big wide open once you step beyond the myopic perimeter of the big smoke. Uh it was where I raised my family, I came here to get into second city, but then when I came back from LA in uh the mid 90s, I stepped into stand up and I knew that the um I took a page from Joseph Campbell's uh uh book here of a thousand faces to follow my bliss and I did and I started stringing my trap line across the big wide open. And when you step beyond the familiar, you get windows on other worlds, you know. And uh that was great about uh, uh that was great about playing the peg because uh yeah, uh, you know, I mean you'd you'd land there in in the dead of winter and it'd be minus forty on a sunny day. And uh, I remember one day I was down at the forks and I saw this old lady feeding the squirrels and I said, Do you do it every day, madam? And she looked at me and said, No, only when it's warm. So there's <laughs> uh you know, there's a sense of there's a sense of place uh that people tend to personify. And uh, I think that the peg has that in spades. I, I used to say, I said one of my, one of the nine specials I did for the CBC, I shot at the Pantages. And uh, I remember saying once that uh, winter uh, isn't a noun in the peg, it's a station of the cross. And because uh, there's always some, but but here I am sounding uh, out of sorts because it's going to be three degrees tomorrow. So I guess I made those jokes before climate change came calling. But, you know, there's uh, it's uh, it's a spirit um, and a pride that people take in in each region they're in. And as the uh, country gets increasingly more fractured along political lines, uh, it's refreshing to have people from so many different walks of life uh, in a show laughing at the same thing, whether it's about, you know, getting older or whether it's about uh, just uh, change and trying to find the common denominator that we all have. I think that's really the comedian's job. How do you find the common denominator that makes us us? And, you know, I'm always amazed that um, whether it's stories about, you know, growing up and playing house league hockey or um, anything to do with my frustrations with technology, which seem to be growing every day, people seem to be able to hang a hat on that. And uh, that's reassuring as the world gets more fractured that comedy is a unifier.
0: Well, you referenced, we heard it in your clip, you talked about the, the everybody's, the, the phone has become an appendage. And if another Pompeii happens, that everyone will be frozen in that position, just staring down blankly at their yeah. phone. And with the, you know, the phones now give us the opportunity to be so not just connected, but so instantly connected. Do, what, do you think that's a good, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I kind of see it more of a bad thing than a good thing.
9: Yeah, well, you know, you sound like you're from an analog world like me, too. Uh, So, um, I mean, uh, I'm a boomer and um, I kind of missed, you know, I missed the I missed the big learning curve on that. Uh, But it's not to say that, you know, uh, be like everyone else. I mean, we became addicted. They know what they were doing. It's a dopamine hit. You know, when you hear that ping in your iPhone, it it excites the same, you know, corner of your brain that likes Christmas presents and strippers and uh sorry i'm not speaking for everybody just a whole club joke (laughs) but i uh uh i'm fascinated at how fast we became addicted to it and i think that you gotta i think you gotta step back to a certain degree and and uh you know and try not to be inundated by it Uh, i know that i had a post go viral way back in uh what way back in 20 in the summer of 21 now where you know the orange mutant south of the border was advocating chloroquine fused fish tank water uh followed by the blood of Jesus as a cure for COVID. And um all my um it went viral and so Occupy Democrats picked it up and then all these <laughs> all these threats started coming mm-hmm. uh, toward me from the Patriots uh of Texas who whoever they are and uh i thought wow this is this is really different and and that's one of the things about doing stand up uh in a club uh or in a casino or the theaters where i've played uh, the last 25 years is that um it's it's still a sanctuary for the most part you know you don't uh have to contend to that uh that vitriolic response to something uh like i did with that post that went viral but at the same time uh, uh these days too i mean uh, uh, as opposed to when we started i find that you have to negotiate this minefield of opinions very carefully because people just don't um disagree anymore they'll throw something at you. yeah.
1: Well, and <laughs> I know? wanted to ask you like you know in your live show it's one thing, right? You're in an environment where people have taken the time, they spent money, they're likely familiar with the material that you deliver where you stand on a variety of different yeah. things and yeah, we yeah. talk one about
9: so, that, uh, yeah, after all this time people who are buying a ticket know what they're getting.
1: Right, right. But when you were talking, you know, freedom of speech and I think it's such a cherished thing, but then the, some of the very people who who stand you know, declare their, their unabided love for freedom of speech. As soon as you start to exercise, their, yours are uh, coming down your throat. Does it it give you pause at any point, Ron, to, you know, I feel a certain way. Should I share what I feel?
9: Well, that's a, you know, that's a great question. I mean, you can't weigh in on the Middle East, no matter how much you listen to it, no matter how much you watch, no matter how much you read, because it's a third rail. It just is the third rail. And um, there's other examples of that, too. You know, I mean, uh, I happen to have a different view than the Supreme Court and the convoy that held their nation's capital hostage for three weeks with diesel fumes uh, and crappy sing-alongs. You know, my uh, my uncle was in a freedom convoy in 1941 called the Battle of the Atlantic. And uh, when he was 21 years old, never knowing when a German Jew boat torpedo was going to plow into his bow and send him to a watery grave. And there was never a bouncy castle in sight. Uh, that's a freedom convoy. And of course, um, I incurred some wrath on about that. But, you know, it all depends. It's like it's like the great Billy Conley said about uh, a joke. What's the intention? And I always think that the intention of humor is to move history uh, is to move the world to the right side of history. Not the right wing side of history, because I think uh, the vast majority of comedians are very progressive in their thinking. But uh, in terms of of uh, of freedom of speech, you know, <laughs> that's the big defense for everything, right? It's for freedom of speech. I'm entitled to my opinion. Not if you're nuts, you're not. Not if you're nuts. There's a lot of people in the world who believe there's no such thing as say gravity in the uh, flat earth society. Okay, so my opinion is that uh, feel free to take a run and leap off the CN Tower some Saturday afternoon. You'll have a lot of time on the way down to see the glaring holes in your argument before you hit the pavement with a splat.
0: <laughs> Ron James now, is, perform- <laughs> he is performing at Club Region Event Center on February 16th. Thank you so saying much saying for joining us. Now,
9: though, just saying that now, I know I've lost potential customers. Do you know what I mean? You know, I like you've lost them. And for the longest time, Canadians were so prudish. I mean, you couldn't say anything about, you know, you couldn't talk about sex. Uh, you know, people say, oh, I don't like scatological jokes. But it seems like sex and flatulent jokes are the only safe territory these days. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really challenging. Right. And uh, I mean, I but I always like I like people to leave my shows uh, feeling uh a hell of a lot lighter than when they walked in, right? Because the world's laid a heavy weight on us lately. And, uh, I mean, we're in this squirrely post-pandemic perspective uh, where uh, the psychic paradigm has shifted so much. I mean, I remember during the pandemic, right? I mean, we were ready to sell our soul for a hug or a haircut. And now we got to make sense of it all again. So I think that's what the comedian tries to do. Just connect the dots and make sense of the chaos we're all walking through and the language of laughs.
0: Well, Ron James, we thank you very much for the time this morning and look forward to the visit in February. And I got two tickets in the book.
9: There you go. I'll give them away.